Welcome to the 14th episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Russo, and I am your host. If you feel listening to this podcast may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary, and as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. Next week is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week, as announced by the National Eating Disorders Association, the NEDA. This week is meant to bring attention to the seriousness and impact of eating disorders, in addition to offering support for those affected by EDs. The theme for 2021 is Everybody Has a Seat at the Table. This theme was created in order to recognize the marginalized and underrepresented populations of eating disorder survivors whose recovery is often barred because of systemic biases and an exclusionary monolithic representation of ED stories. If you are a Notre Dame student and wanna participate in our recognition of NEDA Awareness Week, National Eating Disorders Awareness Week, there are many opportunities for you to connect. The University's Counseling Center Instagram account at UCCND, we'll be posting a daily Instagram post and activity that aligns with one of the following topics, self-compassion, living out values, cognitive reframing, navigating the pandemic with disordered eating or body image issues, and behavioral activation. Additionally, the UCC will be hosting two Zoom workshops on Tuesday, February 23rd from 7 to 8 p.m., and on Thursday, February 25th from 7 to 8 p.m. Tuesday's workshop is entitled to bring your support to the table during COVID-19 workshop, which will serve as a conversation space to discuss how struggling with disordered eating behaviors, specifically during the pandemic, can be difficult. This space will be an open place to strategize, to problem solve, and create a plan that works for you. Come to learn new ideas and share ideas that work for you. I will be there. So if you're interested in uh, talking with me and talking about these struggles that we have faced and what recovery has looked like, please join us. Um, Thursday's workshop will be a screening of a webinar entitled, If Eating Disorders Don't Discriminate, Why Is the Recovery Community So Homogenous? Which is presented by Erica Desiraza and Rebecca Erie of Project HEAL, and this webinar will cover the dominant eating disorder narrative and why it exists through topics of, number one, the widespread damage that is caused by a narrow definition of who is affected by eating disorders, number two, the true prevalence and patterns of eating disorders across demographics, and number three, tangible steps for creating equity and parity in eating disorder treatment. If you are interested in signing up for either event, please visit the University Counseling Center's website and search for workshops under the Counseling Service tab on the left-hand side. The link also to sign up is as follows, ucc.nd.edu forward slash counseling dash services forward slash drop dash in dash workshops forward slash. 
We've briefly discussed the cultural portrayal of eating disorders before, specifically in episode five of HTIL, which talks about culture as an etiological factor in eating disorders. But for today's episode, we are diving deep into one particular example, Netflix's controversial To the Bone. I explored this film in depth for a final report in my critical approaches to screen cultures class that I took last fall. And I thought I would report my findings here today. To the Bone was written and directed by Marty Knoxon and tells the harrowing story of 20-year-old Ellen, who is played by Lily Collins, who struggles with anorexia amidst a challenging family dynamic that aggravates her feelings of helplessness and lack of control. Ellen has been placed in numerous inpatient facilities before meeting Dr. William Beckham, who is played by Keanu Reeves, who offers a new radical approach to recovery. Ellen's only emotional support comes in the form of an absentee father who refuses to acknowledge her problem, a biological mother who lacks the stability to overcome the supposed burden of her daughter's illness, and finally, a stepmother whose insensitivity presents a disturbingly misinformed approach. As her optimism returns and Ellen embraces the teachings of Dr. Beckham, she reinvents herself with the moniker Eli and begins to redefine her eating habits and her self-worth. To the Bone is one of the few on-screen portrayals of eating disorders and is perhaps one of the most recent as it was published in 2017. Stop here if you wish to watch the movie and do not wish to be spoiled. Also stop here if you feel that discussion of the portrayal of an anorexic body, of suicidal ideation, or of specific eating disorder behaviors would be triggering. The film received a lot of criticism and concern over its presentation of anorexia. In addition to actress Lily Collins's own physical transformation in order to play the role of Eli. Collins in the press tour for the film revealed her own struggle with an eating disorder, which furthered the conversation about how to present and how to play eating disorders on screen. This conversation is a necessary one, particularly because there's so little nationwide funding to encourage awareness initiatives or preventative measures. Film and the makers behind it participate in eating disorders cultural resonance to a greater extent because of the minimal funding. And also because they are disorders largely based on image, eating disorders generally don't lend well to screen material. Portraying a non-triggering, non-glamorizing story is challenging. One many filmmakers have neglected to confront given the scarcity of eating disorder narratives on screen. When viewed through the lens of film critic Laura Mulvey's fetishistic scopophilia, as detailed in her essay, Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema, published in 1975, eating disorder portrayal can become even more harmful. Fetishistic scopophilia often perpetuates a glamorization and romanticization of eating disorders as it foregrounds the physical features of a woman's body, in this case, an anorexia survivor. Contemporary films such as Marty Noxon's To the Bone attempt to portray a genuine account of anorexia nervosa, yet at times fall into the trap of fetishistic images that reinforce problematic idealization and objectification of female body parts. 
Eli largely restricts her consumption and overexercises to the point of extreme ill health, two troubling criteria of anorexia nervosa. Eli's body, which is severely malnourished and underweight, becomes a spectacle in the narrative of the film. Noxon uses images understood as fetishistic to present Eli's eating disorder struggles. In one of the most glaring sequences in the film, Eli undresses and is weighed by her stepmother after being released from an inpatient treatment facility. This scene is situated by the stepmother's own thinness witnessed in the shop prior, directly fixing the visible and audible shock of Eli's severely famished frame. In this scene, Noxon goes, quote, far beyond, far beyond highlighting a woman's to-be-looked-at-ness, end quote incorporating Eli's body as the spectacle itself. When Eli takes off her sweater, Noxon switches to a close-up frame in which the audience views Eli's waist and chest. No longer is her face visible as it was in the shop prior, and the audience views an abdomen terrifyingly shrunken and emaciated. This is a dehumanizing shot as Eli only exists as a sickly looking abdomen. Instead of being alienated by her body, Eli is replaced by it. She is viewed as, quote, a fetish that must be reduced to a fragment to prevent it from expressing threatening wants or desires, end quote. Her ribs are gaunt against the tightness of her skin. Her internal organs are completely devoid of cushion and she appears skeletal. In this way, Eli occupies the, quote, traditional exhibitionist role, end quote, of women. Her body, quote, stylized and fragmented by close-ups, codes for strong visual and erotic impact, end quote. Eli, as bone, as implied by the title of the film, becomes further foregrounded in a profile long shot when she steps on the scale. Again, the audience is forced to confront a concave stomach, skin pulled against her visible spine, and hip bones widening her alarmingly small frame. She is then instructed to turn towards her stepmother, at which point we receive a medium long shot of Eli's extreme thinness. Her stepmother proceeds to take a picture of her naked post weigh-in. Eli quickly averts her eyes away from the image, cowering from her reflection. Her stepmother asks Eli if she, quote, thinks that's beautiful, end quote, at which point Eli becomes a that, devoid of humanity and personhood, as dictated by her own stepmother. The fetishism in illuminating the body parts of anorexic individuals becomes more pronounced as the film continues. Eli must see a physician before entering a residential treatment facility. Her male doctor opens her hospital gown, to which we see a close-up shot at her bruised, protruding spine. Her mid-back appears purple and yellow because of her compulsive exercise. Eli proclaims such behavior as, quote, assured destruction, end quote, with her spine as a visible expression of such damage. This shot, among others, quote, hyper-focalizes on parts of the body searing into areas that are imperfect, end quote. 
In Eli's anorexic lens, her abdomen is imperfect, yet her spine faces the consequence of this belief. In this way, the camera exists as a magnifying gaze, reducing anorexic bodies to parts, such as, quote, the chest, ribcage, spine, thighs, knees, arms, hips, shoulder blades, and collarbone, end quote. Because these reductive images parlay a fetishistic, scopophilic experience of eating disorders, such as a framework, such a framework becomes the inspiration for pro-anorexia propaganda and cultural messaging. Quote, the inspiration or pro-anocytes are blogs and websites created by individuals with eating disorders. The internalization of consumer society ideals is seen in inspiration where individuals reward their suffering. These recommendations turn self-starvation into an activity that enables consumption of commodities and produces value for the body, end quote. The gaze at which pro-anocytes and consequently to the bone view anorexic bodies is dissecting, dehumanizing, and fetishizing. Eli's body existing as spectacle collapses in and outside of the narrative because of the inclusion of fetishistic scopophilia, whose degrading images, quote, ostensibly offered as warnings, end quote, can be read as, quote, inspiring benchmarks or even veiled instructions, thanks to the disease's competitive nature, end quote. Despite some audiences viewing such images as a horrific announcement of suffering and self-deprivation, other, more vulnerable audiences will idolize and eroticize such images as the content of heroines. The notion of the physicality and imagery of eating disorders becomes authenticated by the narrative as the confrontation of Eli's emaciated body is what eventually forces her to re-attempt recovery. In one of the final scenes of the film, we see Eli near death. After traveling away from her mother's cattle farm in the desert, she faints to unconsciousness, entering a presumable in-between or afterlife. Eli is viewed at restored weight, no longer extremely thin, yet able to view life as if it could be once she has recovered from anorexia. Eli, recovered, views Eli as a corpse. She is able to exist outside of herself and her ED-ridden brain to see the sickness inherent of her body. Eli views her naked skeleton curled in on itself upon the dirt ground of the desert. Nearly every bone is visible, and it is this abrupt confrontation with her body that brings her to cling to what little life she has left. This is a form of self-objectification in which Eli views herself from a third-party perspective. It is a violent and horrific encounter with her dying body, whom she has before been a stranger to. Although viewing a visibly sick body as the lens to heal is genuine, this image perhaps places too much emphasis on the physicality of eating disorders ignoring the incredibly complex biological, psychological, and physiological components, all of which generally have their own reckoning in the life of a survivor. 
a gross misunderstanding of the disease then emerges because of the neglect of the mental manifestation of sufferers who are firmly entrenched in the illness. This focus on the image of one with anorexia becomes all that much more nuanced with the plot inclusion of Eli's art as suicide inducement. One of Eli's fans commits suicide following Eli's own fetishization of anorexia within her drawings, which she publishes on social media. Her image of herself both internally and as it appears through her art becomes synonymous with death, which further convolutes our understanding of the image of anorexia. Thinness thus exists as an aesthetic. Quote, Anorexia reproduces itself as an isolated character of discipline and ideal femininity, end quote. Anorexia thus becomes a fetishized character in an otherwise romanticized cultural spectrum of understanding. The film claims to know the danger of fetishizing eating disorders, considering this plot inclusion, yet the consequences ring true in the cinematographic framing tactic of capturing an anorexic body. Ultimately, quote, the dissecting gaze is laid bare and the corpse-like body that is proudly displayed in Thinspiration images exposes the true desire of the fetishist to produce a dehumanized dead object, end quote. Eli loses all sense of individuality as she is literally and metaphorically reduced to the status of an image, simultaneously idolized and dehumanized. Into the Bone, the auditory track of the film is equally graphic, both with the temporally disjunct cries and moans of Eli as she crunches on the floor of her bedroom and the audible gasps of shock at Eli's body. When Eli first undresses to be weighed, her stepmother sighs, quote, Jesus, end quote, at the sight of her frame. Further, Eli's biological mother exclaims that she, quote, looks like a ghost, end quote, when seeing her for the first time after treatment. She's fearful of her daughter dying right in front of her, yet these sharp exclamations participate in mimicry of eroticism. Eli's body carries tremendous power as a sensational site of visceral excess, both within the narrative and outside of it. The characters own audible anguish, pain, or surprise encourage our own. Knoxon's film in this case participates in the fetishization of female victimization, becoming masochistic in its viewing of the intense suffering of an anorexia survivor. In this way, quote, the most extreme displays of feminine masochistic suffering include a component of either power or pleasure of the woman victim, end quote. This film allows us the lens to view our own potential suffering and the extent of human self-sabotage through voluntary starvation, especially because of the supposed self-control inherent in these illnesses. Quote, Fasting, which has deep roots in various spiritual practices, is a way of denying physical gratification to prove the depths of one's discipline and devotion, end quote. 
Our cultural fascination with self-willed denial becomes the marketability of such films and can largely neglect the nuanced, convoluted experience of an eating disorder. Our culture exclusively celebrates thinness, yet this becomes all that much more dangerous when eating disorder behavior is fetishized in one of the only mechanisms of progressing cultural understanding surrounding these disorders, the screen. The overemphasis on the female body then becomes word, character, and art. The body becomes instrumentalized, a performance in which to demonstrate some kind of superior existential self-control and self-denial. As a culture that largely supports body dissatisfaction, we become fascinated with the soliloquy of sickness and of sacrifice. Because of the contemporary portrayal of eating disorders, our culture has adopted a body-obsessed curriculum that can perpetuate a thin ideal and be harmful to those struggling with disordered eating, suffering from eating disorders, or the like. ED portrayal on screen is due for a reckoning, one that acknowledges the psychological and physiological dominions of an eating disorder, in addition to, but not overshadowed by, the physical domain. One that neglects harmful, fetishized, idolized images of an emaciated female body. One that transcends reinforced tropes of race, of gender, and of body size as necessitating or undeserving of an eating disorder. Filmmakers and documentarians must avoid triggering vulnerable viewers by not including emaciated images, focusing on numbers, or depicting harmful eating disorder behavior. For those who have suffered from eating disorders, it is an incredibly cathartic and empowering experience to see our suffering and triumph illustrated on screen. Make no mistake, eating disorder portrayal has the potential to be a force of change. Yet intense modification is necessary for that change to be positive. If you would like to learn more about what sources I used in the discussion of this film's engagement with fetishistic scopophilia, my citations will be placed in the show notes. I would also love to hear from you guys. Did you enjoy, did you not enjoy the format of this episode? Did you enjoy the discussion of the cultural portrayals of eating disorders, did you not? Please, feedback is welcome. Next week, HTIL would discuss how race-based stereotypes can impede or prevent diagnosis or treatment of those with eating disorders. All new episodes of HTIL will be uploaded to Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by 11.59 p.m. each Sunday night if you miss the live broadcast. Feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites. If you would like to listen to my own story of anorexia, binge eating, and body dysmorphia, you can listen on any of these platforms. Please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those you feel could specifically benefit. If you are interested in learning more about eating disorders, please visit the National Eating Disorders Association, NEDA, website at nationaleatingdisorders.org. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery and consider seeking treatment.
Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years. And I didn't think anything would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did and treatment does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HDIL has its very own Instagram and Twitter account. So if you would like to suggest your own episode topic or interact with the podcast further, Please feel free to follow on Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTIL Podcast. If you're interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTIL is a space of healing, of recovery, and of storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.